Hey, do you feel like you're getting thrown around the healthcare system and are frustrated with the lack of clarity that you're getting from your providers? Do you feel like you're getting suboptimal care and that you deserve better? Do you want help busting some myths and deciphering what's good and bad information out there? If you'd like to be a part of a community that's connected with the best resources in the area and is taking small steps toward their health and fitness goals, then this podcast is for you. My name is Jeff Danning, and welcome to the Seeking Wellness Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Dr. Jeff Denning here, physical therapist and golf fitness professional. I'm your host today of the Seeking Wellness Podcast, Southeast Idaho edition. I'm joined by a very special guest today, Dr. Julie Jenner of Performance Therapy. Julie is also another physical therapist, also a women's health specialist, also a lymphedema specialist. So she's got a lot going on. Super excited to talk about what uh, what pelvic health therapy means, what that looks like, and some common misconceptions and some good advice, I think, that she can leave our guests with. So welcome to the show, Julie. Thank you, Jeff. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, super excited to have you on. I, uh, I'm not, obviously, a, a pelvic health specialist myself, but I do have a, a vast... Um, amount of respect for those that pursue that specialty i think and you also have a pelvic floor (laughs) i do have a pelvic floor though yes (laughs) as we will talk about it a little bit but yeah i mean at its core right the pelvic floor is what muscles ligaments tendons nerves and what do pts work with muscles ligaments tendons nerves so essentially it's just uh it's just another connection of our body that we might not commonly think about but um, yeah, these, these therapists do amazing work. So, uh, we need to go share that out with the community and, yeah. um, yeah, yeah get more people knowing about this. I appreciate you finding value in it too. Um, you know, even when I was back in PT school, these muscles were kind of brushed over, um, even in anatomy, we kind of skipped over them. Oh, you have muscles there, but they're not very important to everyone. <laughs> and it really took, uh, it took a lot of, um, time and, you know, extra learning to really understand what they do and, and understand that they might be a lot more important than most people think. Uh, and there really aren't a lot of pelvic floor specialists. I think I'm the only one in Idaho as of this year. Um, Amazing. but it's, it's something that, you know, even if you're not exclusively treating pelvic floor, you can certainly assess for dysfunction there and see how it could be playing a role in, in, in other things that you're treating. Absolutely. Absolutely. Before, uh, before we get in too deep on things, Julie, I usually like to start off my guests with kind of a personal question, just so the listeners can kind of get to know you a little bit better. So you, I mean, you grew up in, in Dallas, you've been to school in uh, Arkansas, is that right? Yep, in Oklahoma. In Oklahoma, <laughs> lived in Philadelphia a little bit. Yeah, so you've been um, a lot of places. And now we're in Southeast Idaho. Is there a restaurant or something that you would compare to because I'm I'm sure the I've never been to Dallas but I'm sure the food down there is amazing (laughs) (laughs) Dallas and Philly are two of the best cities to eat in yeah and uh, I I don't know that a little spoiled living out there (laughs) Um, we have found a nice little Thai spot uh Krung Tep and then we we like uh tandoori oven for Indian 
but overall, um, a little underwhelmed with the food scene here. But that's not why we moved here. We moved here for the beauty of it, not necessarily for the cuisine. Um, But yeah, for the most part, we've been pretty satisfied. But no, no Michelin star restaurants. No Michelin star. I've heard that. I've heard that. No, that's fantastic. I would, I would agree for the most part. A little underwhelming, but room to grow, and it's hard to hard to beat the scenery and and uh, outdoor activities out here. So. Well, perfect. Julie, tell me, tell me a little bit about your journey into physical therapy in general and specifically how you got interested in pelvic health therapy. Yeah, I grew up um, doing a lot of ballet. So just naturally love learning about stretches and the muscles and how to get stronger and how to be better. (laughs) So it, it was kind of a natural thing for me to study just because I was always interested in it. Um, and when I was in college, I went with my cousin who founded a nonprofit. Um, it's a team of anesthesiologists that train doctors in third world countries on epidurals and neonatal resuscitation. So I got to witness, um, labor and delivery and really less than ideal conditions, right? There was hardly any running water, not really clean tools, wow. um, a lot of, a lot of lack in pain medication and medical expertise there. But at the time, I didn't really know that that could play a role in physical therapy. I had never even heard of pelvic floor physical therapy. Um, But when I got into PT school, I had a really awesome professor, Dr. Darla Cathcart, and she was very involved in the um, Academy of Pelvic Health, and she treated pelvic floor at the time. So in all of our classes, she would come in and, and give a little spiel about how what we were learning related to the pelvic floor. So I did some research with her and just the life-changing um, cases that she had were really interesting. Well, one that stuck out to me was a, a woman who... Um, waited until marriage to have intercourse and she found out on her wedding night that she had a condition called vaginismus which this type of vaginismus made her it completely impossible for her to have intercourse and so for 11 years she was unable to consummate her marriage and went to doctors oh yeah I know she went to doctors all over the country Some of the things that they were recommending and tried were just like horrific. Um, And she was fortunate enough to have an amazing husband who stuck with her throughout that entire journey. Not everyone is that lucky, but eventually my professor treated her. um, And even at her five-year follow-up, she still reported um, no pain within her course, which, you know, that's the kind of thing that just affects all aspects of your life, you know, to me, it was a little bit more than just, oh, my shoulder hurts when I go to throw this baseball. Like, this is something that's affecting my relationships, my sense of self-confidence and self-worth. And they're really deeply personal issues that not a lot of people know um, how to help. Yeah, (laughs) that's amazing. I, I completely agree with that. I think in general as PTs, obviously there's different specialties, right? We've got neuro that help people recover after they've had like a stroke or a spinal cord injury. We've got people that work specifically with the geriatric population. We've got ortho, which is probably what most people think of when they hear physical therapists. And I love ortho. Don't get me wrong. I love helping people with back pain that can be debilitating and it can be, uh, yeah, really significant to help people get over that. But it's maybe not the same degree as giving someone uh, a first experience of intimacy with their husband after 
waiting 11 years, right? Yeah, it's not, it's not quite on that same level. So I, I totally respect yeah, that. Yeah, I don't mean to diminish what other physical therapists are doing by any means. And not at all. Every single one of us is changing lives to some degree, but it just seemed like this was a problem that PTs could help, but aren't helping. Um, and just the desperation that, you know, these women and men um, and all genders go through when they go to a doctor, the doctor has no idea what's going on. Um, and they just, you know, don't know where to turn. They get all this anxiety. They think that they're making up these problems. Um, and, and that can be, you know, really, really devastating. Yeah. The uh, people definitely get lost in the healthcare system, unfortunately, but that's, uh, that's kind of the goal of this is to help people pull that out pull themselves out of that and uh, get access to the resources they need. So did you, did you go straight into, so you have additional training, right? Um, For those of you guys that don't know, Julie completed a residency, which is usually about a one year um, postdoctoral. So after physical therapy school, a postdoctoral program, um, specifically learning about pelvic health dysfunction disorders and how to treat it. Right. Did you go straight into that? Um, after PT school, did you take some time off? I took some time off. Well, I mean, I went into the working world, but I moved out to Denver and I did home health there for a year. Um, and I really, really enjoyed working with that population and the flexibility of the schedule. I actually work part-time, um, at an assisted living facility here and help out with uh, the geriatric population. Um, so I wanted to get some exposure into that, um, and just kind of decompress a little bit, you know, residency and school, it's more than a full-time job. (laughs) So I took a year, um, doing home health, which was a wonderful experience. And then I moved to Philadelphia to do my residency at Good Shepherd Pen Partners, um, which is the Pen Affiliate Hospital. And yeah, that was really great. Through that, I did a lymphedema certification through the Norton School. Um, so I could kind of tie that into breast cancer and then the associated dysfunctions there. Um, and then pelvic health was a large component. Orthopedics was a large component of it. Um, and uh, lymphedema, menopause, female athletes, triad, that sort of thing. You've got some experience all over the spectrum then. Yeah, it's a pretty big <laughs> spectrum. <laughs> it was, uh, you know, when you get that, right when you get into PT school, you just, you don't realize how many areas you can, you know, dive into things you didn't even know exist. And then as you get into your niche, there's even more things you didn't know existed. So absolutely, uh, I, I just got asked to take on like a pediatric bedwetting case. And I was just like, you know, I've learned about it, never actually treated it, but we'll, <laughs> we'll see what we can do. You know, wow. someone's got to give it a shot. Yeah, no, that's the, that's some of the exciting things, right? You're like, I've never heard of this, but you know, I, I've, studied it. I know this X, Y, and Z, and we can definitely give it a shot. So that's super exciting. I bet those patients are grateful too, that you're willing to take that case on. Some of them are. I hope I want some more. (laughs) Yeah. Especially in this kind of, uh, this community, there's not a lot of pelvic specialists. So I think as, as far as I've seen, the patients have been extremely grateful to, um, have found me and doctors are very excited to find out what I can help with. Um, and so, uh, just spreading the word it's, it seems like it's all being received really well. Um, and so I'm, I'm pretty happy about that. Good. Yeah. Well, let's continue pushing that message out there. Tell us, uh, tell us kind of at a broad overview, what do pelvic physical therapists do? 
how do they how do they work? What does a, a day in the clinic look like? Um, so your pelvic floor muscles sit at the base of your pelvis and they play a really integral role in your core. Um, so if you think about having your respiratory diaphragm up top, your pelvic floor muscles below, your abdominals in the front and your spine in the back, that all forms your core. And any dysfunction in those muscles, whether they're overactive or underactive, can cause all sorts of problems. Um, so internal exams are definitely a part of how I treat um, and assess, but I usually always start off with a, um, a lumbar spine, hip and pelvic girdle assessment, just to see what else is going on with the movement system. Um, and then if indicated moving into, uh, an internal pelvic floor muscle assessment, and then just kind of taking it from there. So if those muscles are underactive or not firing appropriately, you'll get things associated with weakness, like leakage, um, pelvic heaviness, prolapse, um, and in athletes, there's a difficulty with overall performance because if those muscles aren't supporting your core and every movement comes from the core, then you're not going to be able to perform as optimally as you could. But then on the opposite end of the spectrum, um, you could have someone with really overactive muscles um, pulling on different parts of the pelvis and the spine. You can get pain really widespread. I like to think, you know, anything below the ribs um, and above the knees, but it even can extend, you know, down into foot, knee, ankle um, as well. Um, but you can get pelvic pain, coccyx pain, pain with intercourse difficulty fully emptying your bladder. I see this a lot in men, especially um, who have symptoms associated that seem like prostatitis, but they've gone through all the urology assessments and, and nothing's going on with their prostate, but they're still having um, pain and tenderness around the scrotum, sensory changes, difficulty emptying their bladders, weaker streams. Um, and it's really frustrating for them because there's no medical test that can confirm that. But yeah. if we get those muscles to relax, they get really, really good results there. So a lot of conditions, Julie. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> urinary is kind of the main thing that people think of. Um, but I, I do see a lot of bowel dysfunction, constipation, leakage, IBS and associated conditions. Um, Lots of gynecologic conditions too. I see women after they've gone through radiation for gynecologic cancers, uh, endometriosis, pain with intercourse, uh, difficulty achieving orgasm. Uh, pediatrics too isn't really my area of expertise, but I can definitely dive into that. And then um, not so much out here, but in, in Pennsylvania, I was seeing people after um, a gender affirmation surgery, either male to female or female to male. So it really is wow. a lot of different things, <laughs> but uh, anything that relates to the pelvic floor and then kind of extending outward is what I like to work with. Yeah, that's amazing. So, I mean, backtracking a little bit, you touched on the concept of your core being made up of a few different things, right? I think when most people think of core, they think of abdominals, right? Which is maybe a quarter of what it is, right? You talked about the front, the backs, the sides of it, the top, the bottom, um, which is your pelvic floor, obviously, and how that all relates. And so I think people are missing a big piece of their core training if they're not at least 
aware that their pelvic floor exists or um, are conscious of that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that's something I've actually, um, a lot of weightlifters have found me um, and began uh, coming to see me for um prolapse associated more so with weightlifting than with, you know, a really extensive history of childbirth and, you know, uh, an older age. So these are younger women who um, never really knew how to use their pelvic floor when lifting and, you know, compound that with maybe one or two vaginal deliveries, you, you know, start to get really poor support of your core and things drop and protrude, which isn't a really fun thing um, for anyone to go through. Um, and so I, I'm really passionate about um, getting those women back to doing the sports that they love and men do, I should say men, but most recently I've been seeing more women weightlifters um, who are just now terrified of movement um, because they've been told that anything that they're lifting or, or you know, exercising is just going to worsen this prolapse and it's going to, you know, can't resolve it without surgery. And there's just a lot of, you know, fear-based language being thrown out. Um, but I, I, I like helping them learn how to use those muscles effectively so that they can do all of the things that they were doing, but just do them safely. Um, and actually a couple of gyms have reached out to me to, um, teach this to their, uh, participants. I'll be teaching at, uh, CrossFit at Amrock and, um, uh, a Kova gym here to just kind of educate their, their clients on what the pelvic floor muscles are, how to use them, how to identify dysfunction and, and when they should seek help. Yeah, that's amazing. So just to reiterate, you glossed over it briefly, but I don't know if people missed that surgery is not necessary for most conditions. Would you say for most conditions, for most conditions, um, and, and at least it's worth a shot to try to avoid it. Um, with prolapse specifically, um, pelvic floor physical therapy has been um, shown to help up to half a grade. And there's four grades, um, approximately, it gets a little more detailed than that. Um, yeah. But oftentimes that is enough to help significantly with the symptoms associated with prolapse. Um, so women with grade one, two, even three can get a lot of symptom relief um, and not be bothered by their prolapse quite as much, but, um, you know, for some of the more significant prolapses, other medical management can be indicated like a a pessary, um, and sometimes surgeries too, but pelvic floor PT should always be a component of that just to help prevent it from reoccurring and to support any surgery that's being done. Absolutely. I, uh, I used to work a little bit with uh, another pelvic therapist that was out in Florida, uh, kind of helped manage her Instagram and stuff. And um, something she was big on was kind of making the idea that pelvic PT should be kind of standard of care after delivering vaginally, um, just like <laughs> total, like a total knee replacement is standard of care after uh, an orthopedic surgery, right? Or after. Oh. <laughs> yeah i'm about to get on a soapbox and i might not be able to get off of this path, but we got time if you want to go down that route but yeah let's go down it man 
And I, I always like to start with the example of like a cesarean delivery, right? So you're cutting through four layers of abdominal muscle. You are moving an organ out of a way. You're cutting through another organ, removing a baby, stitching everything back together, and then just sending these women on their way, right? Like you go through like a knee scope surgery where like nothing's hardly even cut. And you're sent to like six weeks of PT. It, 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 it blows my mind. Um, and, and especially, you know, with tearing or episiotomies that can occur with a vaginal delivery too, the same sort of thing, because now you guys all know how important these muscles are, right? If scar tissue develops, that can cause difficulty with the muscles performing their function, either overactive or underactive. Um, and, you know, things are definitely different, not just in the pelvic floor, but in the entire movement system with pregnancy. And that always doesn't always immediately resolve um, without, you know, intervention. So, you know, a good assessment of posture, of rib placement, of abdominal muscles, of the pelvic floor. I mean, it's all to me seems essential, but you know, I've been having trouble getting everyone on board with that too. Like I can't, my protocol, if I am lucky enough to see a woman um, for, uh, during her pregnancy, usually she's coming in for back pain. Right. Um, yeah. And usually she's not even put on my schedule. She's put on one of the orthotherapists, but all everyone I was <laughs> knows now they're like, no, give her to Julie. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'll, of course, address the back pain, you know, figure out how to manage that. But I, I love to go through labor and delivery preparation to make sure that they know how to push. So it's the same relaxation that you're using when you're passing a bowel movement, right? And some women will actually reflectively contract those muscles and squeeze them tightly, do a Kegel um, and think that they're pushing. And that resistance can make, you know, more, can cause more tension and make them more prone towards tearing and, and other complications. So just a basic assessment of how to breathe and push, you know, not even diving into the different positions that you can, you know, deliver. And I think is really important. Um, and then I will create a protocol for them to begin day one post-delivery. Um, it most of the time just consists of breathing <laughs> with their diaphragm. Um, and Very important. They, forget, they forget to do it anyways, but it's fine <laughs> because then I have them come back to me as soon as they feel, you know, physically comfortable and just like psychologically comfortable to come back. And, you know, we don't do a pelvic floor assessment until six weeks, but there's lots of other things that we can work on posture. A lot of times they get shoulder pain from breastfeeding, lifting mechanics, assess the abdominals, um, the pelvic girdle, the low back. Um, there's lots of things that can be assessed, but absolutely. <laughs> if you're not going to do anything else, get a six week post-delivery assessment from a pelvic floor physical therapist if you're not going to do anything else that that would be the one thing i, I would recommend that, that <laughs> yeah that's amazing i i think the biggest thing is people just don't know about that right i we talked earlier and i said i had a friend that came to see you and she's like yeah i love it i i didn't even know that this was an option this was a thing that i could do and she's been so helpful to me um awesome. so yeah. i not yeah, spreading the word, spreading the word is definitely important. And I also realize that, um, like 
PTs and I included think that we're like the most important things in the world. (laughs) There's a million and one appointments that you're going to during that period of your life. And now you have this like baby that's attached to you all the time. So it's like, it's not always (laughs) practical (laughs) to be coming back immediately, but uh, it's worth a shot. At least know that it's an option, right? That's like all I really ask of my physicians is not to like, you know, send everyone to me, but to tell everyone that I exist so that if someone does want to pursue it, you know, they're, they have the ability to. Yep. Well, hopefully this reaches some, uh, some postpartum moms out there and they are now informed of something that they didn't know was an option before. That would be a great goal. (laughs) Yeah. Love the, uh, love the fact that you are so, um, dedicated to the rehab course, but not just that also the prehab part of it, right. You should saying that people should be coming in, um, potentially, I don't, I don't remember if you gave a date range, but before they give birth to, tell them how to push, tell them how to um, engage those muscles properly and what positions they should be in all that stuff. So love that as well. What, what would you say is kind of your, your favorite thing to treat Julie, if you have one? I, well, I do love the pregnancy and postpartum population, um, mostly just because it's fun and it's always changing. And for the most part, people are excited. Um, (laughs) And I like getting pictures of babies too, but I will say the the one thing that I I feel like has been the most rewarding is, is helping women who have pain with intercourse, Um, just because I've seen how deeply that affects them and their sense of self-worth and their levels of anxiety and even depression. Um, and it's, uh, it's something that I've been able to collaborate with different doctors, nutritionists, um, psychotherapists, all, all types of people in the, in the medical world, um, can collaborate and, and help these people because you know there's more research coming out about why it occurs but overall it's a pretty understudied field um, and so just you know getting to connect with other practitioners that are committed to learning about you know ways that we can help the, that population has been really really rewarding um, and then just getting really fun emails about like <laughs> I had sex for the first time and I didn't have any pain at all and you know just like in all caps like at work trying to like that's amazing having a whole drawer of things that look like they came from the adam and eve shop but it being like 100 (laughs) wow i love that yeah there are it can it can definitely require a team-based approach right to to tackle these And, and these are kind of some sensitive topics that come up and even before the the pain with intercourse that you just mentioned, you you talked a lot about a broad spectrum of conditions that people don't usually think of when um, dealing with physical therapy, right? What's what's kind of your strategy for dealing with people that are maybe a little tentative to come see you because they're like, I don't know, it's kind of dicey. Like, I don't know if I want to go down that route quite yet. Yeah, some weird stuff. That's a really good question. And, and I found that especially, um, especially up here, people are, are a little more um, nervous to talk about these things. It's not talked about quite as openly as it was when I was in downtown Philly. Um, but yeah. I always like to educate the doctors um, that 
when they're rep talking about pelvic floor PT to people to let them know that an internal assessment isn't absolutely necessary. And we only need to do that if the person feels completely comfortable with it. Um, I always provide a lot of education and a lot of options. And I, I try to do my absolute best to get full, true consent for everything after sensibly explaining what I'm doing, why I, it would be helpful for me to see those muscles. And then I always give people options of um, assessment of those muscles and other things that we can do um, that don't involve a, an internal assessment. Cause that, that's usually the piece that's most nerve wracking to people. And I mean, like they don't trust me just yet. I just met this person, <laughs> right? So, you know, I'll, I'll, there's plenty of other things that we can do to begin to address their issues um, without diving right into an internal assessment. And then usually um, after working together on other things and they start to understand, you know, exactly what I'm looking for and why that would be beneficial and they just trust me a little bit more, um, they're, they're more open to it. But um, I just like to make sure that everyone knows that they're in complete control of everything that goes on in the room. Um, if they ever want to stop at any point, if they're uncomfortable, if it's painful, if they're just not feeling it that day, like it definitely does not have to be done. And there's lots of other things that, that we can do. Uh, but education has been um, really, really well, essential. Patient education has been really essential. And then also, um, developing trust and rapport with the patients, I think is, is also really important. That's great. So if you guys didn't hear that, Julie will not try to propose to you on the first date. She will pursue you and you guys will warm up to each other and not jump yeah. the gun that quickly if that is, is not the intention. It's always the men, too. There's a, there's it's the men. men. <laughs> like when that, when, like this, they're always just like really confused about why I'm like closing the door in this room. They're like, my doctor sent me to pick up there. Yeah. And then when you just like explain that you might have to stick a finger up their butt, like they're usually like absolutely not. I didn't not sign up for this. Um, so I, I usually wait. Um, I'll explain that. I will at the very beginning tell them it's not something that we're going to do today, but it would be helpful in the future. Uh, I think that can be helpful, but yeah, usually the guys are not stoked on. <laughs> I, I can totally see that ruining their day. Um, also, another another fun fact about pelvic PTs, at least the ones that I've met. They're very comfortable saying words like penis and vagina and anus and sex and Look all those you. fun words that <laughs> that everyone shies away from. <laughs> not you, Jeff. Not, not you. me. Nope. <laughs> Bridging the gap. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's important to like get comfortable using those words, um, but also if the patient has other words that they feel like they're more comfortable using than I always ask um, if they would like for me to call it something else. I always yeah. start with just straight anatomical terms, but try to mirror what they say and, and, and ask if there's something else they would like for me to call it. Um, Cause you know, ultimately I just want them to feel comfortable and share everything that they feel like is important to share with me. That's awesome. Very considerate, very considerate. I love it. So what, kind of bouncing off the wall here, what are some things that are not quote unquote normal for people to experience, but 
people have either been made to believe just by the media or conventional wisdom that they are normal, that, you know, this is just how it is either now that I've had a baby or just in the, in the pelvic health world that, you know, just something I have to suck it up and deal with it. You know where I'm going with this, but <laughs> I did not lead the question for any viewers thinking that peeing, peeing your pants is never normal, ever. No amount of peeing your pants is ever normal. It is common. It is extremely common, so common that people think it's normal, yes. but it is never normal and is something that can definitely be helped. Um, pain with intercourse is never normal. Um, having more than three bowel movements per day or um, a bowel movement as infrequently as um, every three days is considered abnormal. Um, and, you know, abdominal pain is never normal either, whether that's in your pelvis, your abdomen, your back, your tailbone. Um, those things aren't normal, whether you've gone through childbirth or not. So if I'm having one of those things, would it be yeah, appropriate come to come see you? Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. Awesome. Talk I mean, to a lot of those things are, 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 you know, it's, it's not just me that will be able to help you. Um, a lot of times, you know, finding a good nutritionist, um, a good pain science doctor, um, you know, this, or a good talk therapist too. Um, but yeah. yeah, those are definitely things that I see on a, on a daily basis. Do you have a good nutritionist and and pain science doc around the area that you like to refer to? I might have to snag those names after if you I, do. I'm searching for Still one. working on it? Okay. Yeah, I, I really am, um, especially one that like takes insurance. Um, so yeah, if you have any uh, recommendations or if anyone listening thinks that you're a good <laughs> dietitian or a pain science doctor, I would Please. love, because I mean, I refer all the time, even like finding a good talk therapist. Um, and that that's a little more personal too, but, but I want to, I want to find someone who's good at, at under helping people with pain and trauma and, um, you know, lots of those things who understands those issues. Yeah, absolutely. A diamond in the rough. Yeah. Well, we'll be, we'll be looking out. Um, Julie, talk to me about Kegels and kind of your thoughts mm-hmm. on those. Are they overprescribed, underprescribed, oversimplified, um, difficult to do, waste of time? They have their place. They have a really important place. Um, oh, I don't know if you're. <laughs> but yeah, they are nope. overprescribed. I mean, if you have someone going back to kind of what we talked about with mu- these muscles being overactive versus underactive. Um, if you have a spasming high tone, high tension muscle that's overactive, the last thing you want to do is to train it to contract even more and even more. Um, and actually certain types of leakage can be associated with doing too many Kegels um, and those muscles never really relaxing. Um, so I, I think if you're a practitioner that knows how to assess both overactivity and underactivity and do a really thorough assessment of the pelvic floor muscles. And you find that this person has really good motor control. They can contract when you're asking them to. They can also relax um, when you ask them to. These muscles move naturally with uh, diaphragmatic breathing and you find that these muscles are still weak and that's contributing to their leakage, then I think it's appropriate to prescribe Kegels. Um, 
and that's pretty much it. I wouldn't, <laughs> if you don't feel comfortable doing that assessment, I would just say send them to me because I, I, I spent a lot of time kind of undoing um, things that people have been taught to just heal all the time and then they have high tone and then they have pain and then they're leaking just because <laughs> they have urgency and and it, it, it it's you know kegels are extremely important right that that's how you strength train that muscle but if it's a dysfunctional group of muscles that don't relax when you're done kegeling then uh you're going to run into a lot of other issues that you you know could have easily avoided <laughs> Yes. Thank you for that rant. So good question. No, good question. <laughs> yeah. As with most things, um, in life and in physical therapy, blanket statements for, uh, you know, just kegel your way out of it, if you will, is, is not an appropriate response for most people. Um, right. and, and also kind of unlearning that's, that's the a difficult thing for people that I've found too is unlearning the bad information that they have gotten from family, friends, even previous PTs or other medical providers. Uh, That's, that can be challenging to overcome and, and relearn those new. And it's even, it's a lot of times harder for me, well, for the patient to get overactive muscles to relax when they've trained it that way for so long it's ingrained in their nervous system than it is to just implement some strength training and an otherwise um, typical nervous system and motor control you know pelvic floor Um, so yeah I'm sure that sentiment goes to a lot of different uh, practices too Yes. Yes, absolutely. And I think we hold lots of stress, of course, in our our modern day era. I don't know if people hold stress in their pelvic floors, if that's something. Yeah, no, they do. No, there's a, there is actually a lot of research that associates um, anxiety and kind of that type A personality with overactive pelvic floor muscles and and pelvic pain. Um, And the jaw clenching too with clenching the pelvic floor muscles just like you hold tension in your jaw and in your neck um the same thing can occur at your pelvic floor muscles too so our our questionnaire asks about all of those things and really i can get a pretty good picture of what's going on just by looking at the questionnaire um always you know challenge your original hypothesis but yeah. um, there is a lot of association with that but but we don't see our pelvic floor muscles most people don't even know where they are don't, didn't even know they had them um, so <laughs> it's a lot harder for someone to identify that they're clenching there whereas you know you feel yourself grinding your teeth at night and that sort of thing so. yeah very interesting well, Julie, I want to be respectful of your time. So I just got one last question for you. What do you, what do you wish people knew about pelvic floor, physical therapy, pelvic health, um, PT, all that good stuff. I think your name's kind of a, not your name specifically, but your, your credentials are kind of a misnomer too, because you, you do have a WCS yeah. women's health clinical specialist, but you don't only treat women. Is that correct? Yeah, that and that's you know would probably be what the most important thing is is that everybody with a pelvis has a pelvic floor, um, and it's not a practice that's specific towards women. Um, all genders can benefit from this, and the uh, the the. The Academy of Pelvic Health just changed its name to that from the section on women's health in order to be more gender inclusive, 
right? Um, the the specific certification that I received um, is probably in the process of changing as well, but there are more things included um, on that exam outside of just pelvic health too. So um, I don't I don't know what the plans are um, if that's going to change or not, but. Um, yeah, I think it's an important distinction that, you know, while I am a women's clinical specialist, I, I do treat people of all genders. Um, and, you know, a lot of people can benefit from this type of therapy. Agreed. Everyone, everyone has a pelvic floor, even you big muscular guys out there. <laughs> even you. <laughs> so um, just to finish up, I know you've got a, a workshop coming up in a couple of weeks at my home gym, Julie. Yeah. So would you mind telling the listeners a little bit about that? So if they do listen to this podcast before then, that they could think about joining. Yeah, I'd love to. Um, so it'll be about an hour to two hour workshop. Um, learning about the pelvic floor muscles. We'll learn what they are, what they do, how they move, how that relates to your core. Um, by the end of it, uh, my goal is for everyone to be able to kind of self-identify when their muscles are overactive versus when their muscles are underactive and know how to coordinate those muscles with breathing, with abdominal contraction, and then with any other um, movement they want to do. Um, they should be able to take uh, what we learn and apply it to all of their exercises um, afterwards. So I'm really excited to work with that population. Yeah. They, I always learn. I always learn from weightlifters. It's not something that I love to do. Like you do it because you're supposed to, but <laughs> I never understood the need to pick up really, really heavy things. I don't know, but uh, it's, it's fun to, to hang out with that population. I'm sure I'll learn a lot too. Yeah. Yeah. It goes, it goes both ways. The CrossFit culture is definitely kind of culty. So I, I understand that being, being one of them. Um, I was reading a, or listening to a podcast this morning that actually said that about a third of, uh, I think it was women that they studied, a third of women have difficulty completing their New Year's resolutions, mostly being uh, more fit or exercising more, right, because of uh, leakage, because that was a significant barrier to them exercising. Wow, yeah. So, yeah, if you guys are experiencing anything in that region, then this would be a great workshop for you guys to attend and learn more about that. So that's coming up. What day is that, Julie? Uh, January 15th. So I think about a week, two weeks, week and a half from today. Go. January 15th. Yep. That's a Saturday. Yep. Okay. It's at 9.30. 9.30 AM CrossFit Amrock. Okay. Yes. Perfect. Well, looking forward to it. Yeah. If, uh, if people want to find you on social media or on the internet somewhere, where's the best place to do that? Julie, where can they learn more about you and ask any probing questions and blow I mean, up your you're inbox? You're more than welcome to follow <laughs> me on social media. I will say there's not a lot of pelvic floor content on there, um, but you're absolutely welcome to message me about that kind of thing. I do share some stuff from time to time. Email's uh, fine too Instagram. for those old fashioned people. Yeah, yeah. My email is my name, Julie Jenner 108 
at gmail.com. Um, and then my non-pelvic floor uh, social media Instagram account is at free generation with J-E-N-N-E-R-A-T-I-O-N. Clever on that wordplay. I like that. Thanks. Hey. Thanks. <laughs> okay. Well, this has been uh, this has been a real treat, Julie. I, I'll have to have you on again at some point. Um, but I think I'll let you go for tonight and, um, just want to say thank you for coming on. You dropped some yeah. knowledge bombs and I hope people so got much. some, it's been really fun. yeah, you, uh, you got some valuable, you gave some valuable information that I think people will be able to take away. And if nothing else, then just, um, let people know that this resource, this amazing resource is out there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me on. It's been, been a great time chatting with you. Okay. Thanks, Julie. Till next time. Hey, everybody. I just want to say thank you for listening to the Seeking Wellness Podcast. I would love it if you subscribe so you never miss out on any of these great episodes. If you haven't left me a review yet, that would mean the world to me so I can implement any of your feedback that you have for me. And if you feel compelled to do so, share this out with more people because my goal is to connect with and help as many people as possible in our community. And finally, if you have any ideas for future episodes or suggestions on guests I should interview, please shoot me a message because I'd love to hear from you. Thanks again. And until next time.